Hey guys, I'm Pete. And I'm Alex. And you're listening to the Kick Push Pivot Podcast. I'm a former Fortune 500 consultant dedicated to the idea of innovation and growth. And I used to manage marketing tours for the Rolling Stones, focused on creating one-of-a-kind customer experiences. On this podcast, we interview people faced with the decision to kickstart innovation, push through doubt, or pivot to something new. We hope you find something inspiring or encouraging as you listen. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Kick, Push, Pivot. I'm here with my co-host as always, Mr. Pete Mackey. Say what's up to the people, Pete. Hello, everyone. Happy to be back on the show again. Absolutely. We've got another good one for you. Uh, we have Dr. Lawan Hall with us today. Would you like to say hi, Dr. Hall? Hey. Hi, Pete. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to join you guys here today. Absolutely. Happy to have you. Um, we've been talking with Dr. Hall a little bit before this recording, and we're Pete and I are both very excited about what we're going to bring to the show today. I think she's going to bring a wealth of knowledge and a lot of really cool, cool background stories, too. Um, that we just spoke about. So excited to get into it. Dr. Hall has 25 years of experience as CEO of a multi-specialty dental group here in Northern California. And she now serves as a vice chair of the American College of Dentists in the NorCal section. Um, She's also on the board for a telehealth company. And uh, Dr. Hall, um, just to kind of start off, I guess maybe you could tell the viewers a little bit, uh, the listeners, I guess, because they're not viewing, a little bit about your background, where you come from, and we can kind of start and uh, go from there. Okay. Well, I'm so glad to be here today with you. And um, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm actually retired from being a pediatric dentist. Um, I had a practice, a large group practice in multi-specialties in Northern California, as you mentioned before. Um, I actually became interested in dentistry as a 12-year-old. I've always wanted to become a dentist and an entrepreneur and kind of zigged and zagged along the way. Uh, I attended school at the University of California in San Francisco. I have a bachelor's degree in biology and dental materials, and then went on to receive my doctorate of dental surgery at UCSF. Um, As I completed my dental training, I thought, wow, it might be great to uh, specialize in pediatrics. So I continued on at Children's Hospital, uh, Children's Benioff Hospital now, and specialized in uh, craniofacial anomalies, uh, pediatric dentistry, and some orthodontic training after dental school. So that, that's how it led me to um, pursuing dentistry as a, as a profession. 12 years old. Tell 12. me, how does, a, how does a 12-year-old know that she wants to be a dentist? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it all goes back to my family dentist, Dr. Richard Klein. He recently graduated from dental school at USC, and I would go in for my dental visits, and he would sing to me. He had a really cool office, and... Um, I, I love singing, and whenever you'd see me, you'd say, gosh, you have a really great smile. And so, you know, as a child, you really eat that up, and um, I loved math and science. So I, at, at an early age, I thought, wow, dentistry is the career for me. Uh, and I just continued one step at a time and continued forward and, uh, until, uh, until 2019, actually, after 25 years. Wow. Okay. And um, I know that... 
here on the show, we kind of like to go into the journey of how you got to dentistry. Um, and I know that we've talked a little bit before about some of your background. Um, those of you who know me know that I come from the film industry and the event industry originally, and then came into healthcare. Um, and I think Dr. Luan Hall and I are kind of connected in that way. I have a film degree. I believe that uh, Dr. Hall, as we were talking about, I think you have some connection to the film industry as well. Yes, actually I do. Um, as, as luck would have it, um, I decided to take a, a little break between my undergrad studies and um, also um, I had an interest in, in television and broadcasting. So I had taken some classes at UCLA and interned at CBS and right across the street from CBS is uh, Sunset Gower Studios, and I ended up working for um, a man named Chuck Barris, who uh, created the dating game, Newlywed Game, and the Gong Show. And uh, I worked as a production coordinator for Chuck for three years until he sold the company. Very cool. Yeah. So there's a rumor. There's a rumor I've heard that uh, there are some interesting stories connected to Chuck. Were you ever recruited by the CIA the way Chuck was? Um, I was not recruited, but I did have some unusual uh, benefits from working for Chuck. Um, as the production of The Dating Game um, was going on, we we had the option of chaperoning couples. And I noticed there were some unusual places in the 80s where we would be assigned trips with um this boy and girl who would know each other from the show. Um, but we were going to very... Uh, probably uh, intelligent, sensitive areas like Russia and Cartagena and uh, Algiers. Uh, so I just thought it was really kind of weird that some of the contestants would actually know individuals in those cities. So there probably <laughs> was some kind of a correlation of getting individuals into those countries. Um, if you ever see Chuck's uh, autobiographical film, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, uh, that... Um, that kind of will fill in the the uh, blanks of uh, if he was really mm. a CIA hitman or not. Wow. Well, you sold it for me. I've already yeah. written that down. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> we're watching that this weekend. It's happening. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, maybe it's on Netflix. I don't know. It was for a while. So <laughs> you can get anything on Amazon these days. So, so. I'm going to pivot. Where um, after Chuck sold the company, the television program went out of production. I looked up and said, you know what? My mom and dad didn't send me to college to work in television. I'm going to resume my, my uh, childhood dream of becoming a dentist. So I applied for dental school in the 80s and um, ended up moving to Northern California from Los Angeles. And uh, I was really fortunate to attend uh, UCSF where uh, I made lots of friends and connections and had a great education. And as um as a precursor to that, I had joined the U.S. Army as a reservist to check oh, and wow. see if I could get my feet wet. So my actual, my actual initial training in dentistry was at Fort Sam Houston, Texas. And mm. I joined a, a U.S. Army a dental reserve group in Los Alamitos in Southern California mm -hmm. and uh, learned a lot about the profession and just reinforced my desire to continue uh, in, in the dental profession. Wow. Excellent. So people don't often know this, but the military actually is a great place to learn different skill sets. And that's mm -hmm. really cool that you, uh, that you ha learned that. In fact, another person we've been talking to, a guest is Dr. Turley, who is the president of the CDA. 
And mm-hmm. she actually learned a lot from the military as well as part of her training. So yeah, uh, Dr. Terlay is a wonderful colleague and friend of mine. Uh, she's done a lot of work in increasing access to care in Northern California and just a, a leader in an organized dentistry. Yeah, she's she's a friend of the show too. So I think you're in good hands here. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, yes, it's being being involved in uh, dentistry leadership has has a lot of benefits. I've served as ten years as a delegate to the American Dental Association, and uh, in fact, that's how I met my husband, uh, who's a re- also a retired dentist. And so, oh, uh, that's awesome. Lots of clean teeth in that house. Yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> we can only get our dogs to brush. We'll. we'll uh, be happy <laughs> That it would be quite a trick. For, yes, it's important for your dog to brush their teeth also. Do you oh, brush wow. your dog's teeth? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You can just use a small amount of toothpaste, but do not use xylitol toothpaste because it's toxic for dogs. Oh, man. Fun fact. Yeah. You got to keep that, that breath me. smelling good. Yes. It reminds me of a, of a good joke. Have you heard the one about the two dentists and why they fell in love? No, I haven't. They were enameled with each other. <laughs> Boom. Yes, Pete. Always wow. with the dad jokes. Oh, I just got to bring a little levity. Wow. <laughs> Here we go. Awesome. Well, yeah, I don't know how to follow that up, but I'd say we go back into your story, Dr. Hall. Um, I guess where we left off was basically you going in and getting some training from the army. How mm-hmm. do you go in and initially set up your first practice? Did you buy an old practice out? Did you start one up completely new? How does that work? Um, well, I was one of those unusual people. Um, I, I started from scratch. Uh, I built an office from a cold shell, but I need to give a, wow. a caveat to that. I, I was very fortunate to have some amazing mentors from, from um, the dental community. One was Dr. Jim Green. He built a three-story dental building in a city called Antioch. And uh, it was full of specialists, but there was no pediatric dentist in the building. And so I had the good fortune of moving into that practice. Um, Mm. Unfortunately, I outgrew the space of uh, three chairs in about three years and uh, ended up opening a second practice in the city of Brentwood. And then uh, I found a little bit of a challenge in 2008. I don't know if you recall, we had a huge housing bubble Mm. where families were losing their jobs, losing their homes. I recall that very vividly. And and dental care was taking a little bit of a hit at the time. So what I chose to do um, as a result of that was uh, I opted to expand the practice um, from two two locations to add in an orthodontic section. And um, at the time, uh, my, my husband was practicing, so we established a teen and adult dental practice also. So even though the, um, the utilization was decreasing, we actually increased our footprint in, um, in finding spaces that were right-sized for growth uh, during that 2007-2008 uh, hurdle in, uh, in our economy. So that actually wow. worked out quite well because as the practice is being built, it's usually, it takes a while to ramp up uh, an additional uh, start from a cold shell and uh, sure. building, up, building everything out from with plumbing and electricity and everything being added. So it, it was a bit of a challenge because it was at a time where banks were a little skittish on lending. So we had to self-finance mm. and pull money out of our home to, to expand. And uh, that was one of the, one of the uh, very courageous things that um, turned out with, uh, with an a, a very successful outcome. We were able to 
increase um, providing services to our community. That's absolutely amazing in, in East County. Wow. Yeah, I definitely uh, know what you're talking about when you refer to the housing bubble in 2008. My dad actually had a his own mortgage business at that time. Wow. And so you can imagine uh, kind of how crazy things were for us around 2008. So it was oh, yeah. uh, definitely a memorable time. I'll never forget 2008. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but interesting that you were one of the few actually that started kind of with a cold shell. Like you say, a lot of people in dentistry, they, they buy, um, you know, an existing practice that already has patients coming in. So I'm interested to know, did you like, how was the marketing, uh, what kind of marketing was involved in that? And how did you build up that clientele, uh, with a cold shell? With a cold shell, I started with a cell phone and a brand that I never let go. Um, because I was building into a multi-doctor uh, facility initially, uh, I did have a, a, a soft start uh, working in the established practice of Dr. Green. On the weekends, um, I supplemented my income from uh, my first job as a uh, dentist in Fairfield. So I worked two to three days in Fairfield um, with Dr. Peroni, who just retired. And then I worked on my own for two days um, in Dr. Green's office. As I built up patients, um, I decided uh, I was going to brand myself as a Tooth Fairy's best friend. And um, mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. my brand and my logo. And I just kind of ran with it. Um, I then started to add on associates because I spent a lot of my time also volunteering um, with the California Dental Association, I added an associate, then I added another associate, then I married a dentist. So um, the practice grew to almost 10, 10 doctors, um, ultimately, oh, wow. over the 25 years of uh, practicing. So um, moving forward to 2019, the practice had grown to, to 10 doctors and over 50 staff, which is kind of a magic number in California when you get 50 employees. And just so happens that the doctor that replaced me in my first practice in Fairfield with Dr. Peroni had called and said, um, are you interested in selling your practice? And it's 2019. And it was a little bit early for me to retire, but I said, let's talk about it uh, because I love dentistry, but it's, it's a very physical profession, especially with children. You're bending over and when yeah. you ask them to lift their head up, they do this instead of this. So, <laughs> um, so I, I, I took, took the opportunity to maybe uh, press pause and I was very blessed that I sold in uh, 2019 because it happened before the COVID pandemic. So I was extremely fortunate to uh, be able to take some time off. Over that time off, I said, well, what else can I do? I said, I'll give myself some time um, to kind of uh, work on my body and um, explore what else is there to do in the healthcare profession. And I received a call from a recruiter that said, oh, we're looking for someone to interview for a, a public board. And I didn't really know what that meant. Um, I, I, now I know it's a really wonderful thing that um, I continued to look into it and found that there's a, a, a great uh, future in serving in public and private boards, um, especially if it's a company trade on the NASDAQ. So that's hmm. where I'm at right now. Um, and uh, that was probably the second big pivot is uh, the pre-COVID pivot and the housing <laughs> bubble pivot. So in those two cases, I was uh, just uh, uh, totally, totally lucky and totally blessed by being able to make make those transitions at two, two major times in our country's economic history. Wow. Yeah. You have quite the, quite the timing. Yeah, and that's for sure. I was sure. going to say, geez, yeah, perfect timing. 
Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So yeah, so, that's kind of, uh, kind of where, where I'm at right now. Um, yes. So can you tell us a little bit about the, um, the other activities you're involved with as well? You mentioned the public board and the t- telehealth company as well. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're staying busy. Um, what, what do you do in those areas and how'd you get connected to them? Um, Obviously the recruiter got you in one, the other, the other is um, similar. Yes. Actually a recruiter found me on LinkedIn. It was a very large national uh, recruiting firm. Um, I, I should, I should plug them because I was very thankful that they contacted me, but um, I, I found that in all that time when everything was shut down, um, one of the good benefits of the pandemic, it allowed those who wanted to, to connect with people that they would have not have always connected mm. with. So um, what I did, I started working on my LinkedIn profile. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile right now, I strongly suggest that you do. Um, if you're the CEO of a company or you're a dental assistant just getting started, you'd be amazed at all the connections that you have within your profession. Um, if you are, uh, I know we were going through this great resignation process, but there is always something that that we're good at. And uh, for me, networking has been uh, one of my special gifts. And um, I just continue to reach out to to my colleagues and friends over, over the um, past year and a half. And that's how I've made the transition to, to doing board work. Um, that's actually how I found the telehealth company. I met with uh, one of the uh, founders and um, I said, well, let's get together. There was a DSO meeting and we got together and met and I looked at the products and uh, the, pla- the uh, platform that they provided in, in teledentistry. And I was thinking this was the missing link. If we had more of this in place during the pandemic, patients mm-hmm. would have been able to at least get some um, emergency care answered. Um, if someone's was in orthodontic treatment and wearing aligners, for example, with the teledentistry model, they could have checked in with their doctor if everything was going well um, or see the staff without them leaving their home. So I really feel that that's um, a big growth area in medicine and dentistry. Now, granted, there's you can't replace uh, remote uh, camera work for dentistry or surgery, but it does help when patients have questions about what's involved in placing implants or having a consult and um, mm-hmm. or even just find out if something's an emergency or not. Or like if, uh, like one patient asked me the other day, she, she sent me this photo and said, oh, my daughter has shark teeth, and which is the most common concern that someone has when they're five years old. They look in the mouth and they see two rows of teeth like a shark. And that was me. It's so easy. <laughs> it's easy to uh, reassure uh. the parent that, that the child doesn't have a deformity and they're not going to, to remain <laughs> oh, that man. way forever. The teeth will eventually move forward when the baby teeth come out. So, yeah, I see yeah. a huge place for that in the future just in terms of um, increasing access to care, especially if you live in a remote area and there's no doctors available. Um, yeah, yeah, I must say, I, I didn't totally enjoy uh, being seen um, on camera at my with my physician, if I if I want, I just wanted to see them. But when there was no choice, and I wanted to be seen right away, that the telehealth is a, a great option for that. Yeah, sure, I think so. I think so. We actually have done telehealth a couple of times in my family over the pandemic, not for dentistry, but for medical. It's been fantastic. And my daughter right now is six, and she's been losing her teeth, mm-hmm. so she has like a big gap. She's lost her two top front teeth, and her two, yep. And her yep. two bottom teeth have just come in after losing them. So she's she's less of a shark and more of like, a, I don't know what an animal is without teeth, but it's one of those animals. <laughs> she's, she's a Cheerio shooter. Yeah. 
exactly. That's what I was always excited about when I lost my front two teeth. I was like, okay, great. Now I can shoot Cheerios at my sister. That's yeah, I never, I never like extracting those first teeth, even if they're double, double. I call them double park teeth, because it's a rite of passage for the child to to wiggle out that first tooth and have the right. tooth come. And oh yeah, send them a, a a prize. It's kind of funny. Some kids have gotten really, really um, savvy though, where they start thinking, well, what is this tooth fairy thing really wheel wheel wheel. <laughs> Yes, it is real. No, there's like, no, it's not real. I lost my tooth. I didn't tell my mom and dad, and I put the tooth under the pillow, and nothing happened. And then I told oh, my mom oh. later, and guess what? There was twenty dollars under my pillow. So some kids are very savvy. <laughs> I don't know if it's the internet or how they're figuring it out. Oh. But twenty dollars, man. Tooth yeah. fairy has gone up since I was a kid. Yes, That's, inflation. Uh, inflation has hit. Inflation, the tooth yeah. <laughs> Inflation, and there's also probably a, a tooth fairy penalty there for for, for not knowing the first uh, the mm, first pass. It's a late fee. Yeah, it's a late, late fee. fee. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So funny, <laughs> funny story. My daughter lost her uh, second tooth, and we do the tooth fairy thing as well, and she loves it. And uh, the second time, I forgot because it was like late at night, and she, you know, we pulled it out, and it was like exciting. And then I was like tired doing you know house cleaning or whatever. She went to bed. She checked the next morning. There was no Tooth Fairy uh, mm. card with any, like you know, dollar or whatever it is, and she was very upset all day. But not upset at me. She was upset the Tooth Fairy forgot. So I think we we maintained the uh, the guys the Tooth Fairy because the Tooth Fairy um, was running late, and after nap times, the Tooth Fairy appeared and something showed up under the pillow. So. Mm. Wow. It was close call there. Close Very call. Save the day again. I know. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a lot of volume in COVID. You know, the tooth fairy is working overtime, low staff. So staffing's always a problem. Yeah. Can't find good people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um another big challenge. Um I, I think some large uh, dental DSOs are actually starting to train uh staff, uh starting from scratch and helping uh Individuals get through the dental assistant training, helping with licensure. Um, there's some companies who help find doctors and um, help get them positioned with license outside of the state that they're already licensed in regionally too. So um, everyone's working overtime to help address uh, some of the staff shortage issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Alex and I have seen that as well. We, we get a chance to work with folks in the dental industry and that's very common very common challenge, especially now with all the different challenges happening on with them. Um, so, so my advice for anyone that's in practice, the culture of the business and the, the team is so important. Um, I, I worked with Roger Levin years ago and he, he had said, or no, was it Gordon Christensen? It was Gordon Christensen. He said, keep your staff as long as you can stand it. And uh, that there is some truth to that because you lose so much in training replaced staff or someone leaves the practice. Um, all that loss of the, the patient affiliation and the, the trust, it, it really is, is important to, to keep the team cohesive and fun and safe. So, yeah, when you have a team member, you got you to gotta embrace them and, and make everyone feel valued and uh, part of the team is super important and provide the leadership to make that happen. Absolutely. Can you speak a little bit more to what exactly you do um, on the board for the American College of Dentists? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm president-elect or vice chair for the uh, 
Northern California section of the American College of Dentists. And for, for those of you not aware of what it is, it's our uh, ethics, professionalism branch of dentistry. It's actually the oldest honorary uh, society in the dental profession in the United States. And it's composed of the top two to 3% of all dentists. And the selection is anonymous. You're not supposed to know who nominates you. Uh, when you become a fellow of the American College, uh, the purpose is to uh, help guide and mentor others, to uh, help set the, keep the standards high for the profession, because the public trust is, is very, very important. So we always keep the, the patient's care and the trust um, and the duty of care and loyalty to the patient as our top, top line concern for the American College. Very wow. cool. So are you, uh, are you involved as, in your position in that organization? Are you involved kind of with like um, helping the nomination process? Is it kind of best practices and standards? What, what are the kind of things that you're involved with? Um, well, um, I'm just starting as one of the national screeners. I guess I don't know if I should say that. Um, there, mm -hmm. It is an, a panel that actually screens the applications um, to be selected for the college. You have um, There's a nominator who's an existing fellow and then a, a second person who will um, second their nomination. Um, it's an annual uh, process that usually um, takes place in January. And the selection committee um, is uh, composed of members all across the country. So we look at um, how long the doctor has served in the profession. Um, usually you have to serve at least five years in the profession before you're nominated. We look at their overall portfolio of work in terms of volunteerism, scholarly achievement, uh, and uh, anything of note, if they provide something um, of value to the dental profession. Um, we're just now at a point where we're starting to actually consider work in the DSO sector because that's that's one area where um, there hasn't been a fluid um, overlap with organized dentistry. And uh, because the number of, of practices, practices that are going through um, the corporate dentistry route, uh, it's still one family. It's still one profession. I like mm -hmm. to think of a profession and not a trade. So uh, we we want to make sure everybody is recognized for their value and their service to the profession. Absolutely. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, thank you for sharing. That was interesting. I learned something new. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so for those of you who are fellows, I think we have in California, the Northern California, Northern California section that we have about 250 um, members who are fellows of the college. So, Very nice. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, I think we're running up on time here. As we kind of get to the end of our show, Dr. Hall, usually what we have is uh, our guests would provide a little bit of um, advice for somebody that's coming up in the industry or trying to be an entrepreneur or, or get into the dental industry. So anything that you could provide for our listeners? Um, I, I feel the two most important things that, that were important to me is having great mentorship and building a strong network. Uh, it goes down to the basis of having, uh, having uh, selecting your, your community where you're the best fit and um, building from there. Because if you love what you do, everything else falls into place. And uh, something else, as I mentioned earlier, um, building your network with LinkedIn. 
um, if I can give it a plug, I don't work for LinkedIn, but um, at this point in my career, it's it's become a valuable tool in terms of maintaining communication with people in the profession and expanding your horizons. So, uh, yeah. And, awesome. and, be a, and be a great dentist and practitioner and try to provide quality care. At, that they, at the end of the day, that's what's most important. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Dr. Hall, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for gracing us with your presence and providing some interesting stories. I'm definitely going to watch that uh, documentary tonight if I can find it. So more to come from that. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. Good to see you, Alex. Thanks, Absolutely. Thanks, Dr. Hall. And thanks all of you for listening. Make sure to uh, continue to like and share and and follow all of our our episodes. And we will be back uh, in another couple of weeks with another one. And we will see you soon. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at KPP Podcast. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, feel free to reach out. Hope to see you next time.